This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. Welcome, 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 everybody, to the Best Seats Podcast. I am your host, Crawford McCarthy. As always, thank you for listening, and thank you to Allie Coyle for providing the intro and general music for the show. You can find her at AllieCoyleMusic.com or on Instagram at AllieCoyleMusic. Welcome to the first ever episode 14 of the Best Seats Podcast. Super excited this week to welcome Chef Frank Deloach. He is chef up at Bello by Sandra Nardone. I am planning to get uh, Sandra himself on the show as soon as I can do in-person interviews. Uh, but Frank is someone that I've wanted to talk to for a while. He's cut his teeth at some really, really good restaurants all around Orange County. He knows what he's doing. Um, he is hyper-focused on really, really good flavors, developing them, kind of old-world techniques, and has a real, real respect for things that are very out of fashion um, and out of practice. Things like you know, in-house charcuterie programs, curing meats, breaking down meats, etc., Frank is someone who really knows his way around an animal and kind of all the delicious bits that may hide inside of them. So he is someone that is super passionate. He's super unfiltered. Um, so if you've been listening, you may have noticed that the explicit symbol is next to most of the episodes. Now, maybe there's a swear word here or there, the occasional F-bomb. Um, but I pretty much knew that the show was going to be explicit for when I interviewed Frank. He does not have a filter. I absolutely love that about him. Um, he's going to say whatever is on his mind, and he's going to say it however he wants. So if you're listening to the show and you know you're a nun or you know maybe a priest, something like that, this may not be the episode for you. But for everybody else, buckle up because this one is chock full of tons of great information. Talking about how Bello has pivoted, talking about in-house charcuterie programs. Um, and even a little bit of nerd culture talking about, you know, if the Pokemon were real, which ones would make the tastiest, you know, little bits of food. So this episode has pretty much everything you need. I will say that uh, this was recorded a couple of days prior to Memorial Day weekend. So the announcement had not gone live yet that restaurants could reopen. Uh, some of the information in this episode is kind of based on the presumption of when they were going to open. But at the time of this recording, it had not been announced yet. So take some of that with a grain of salt. But definitely still support Bellow. Um, they are planning to reopen super, super soon. Depending on when you're listening to this, they may already be open. But I know that the free, uh, frozen pizza program that you're going to learn more about is live at the time of this going live to your eardrums. So without further ado, I hope that you're prepared for a couple of curse words, but a hell of a lot of information. Let's get on to the damn show with my guest, Chef Frank Deloach. All right, man. Uh, thanks so much for carving out the time to do this. I'm uh, super excited to kind of get you on the podcast. I wanted to try and get, obviously, Sandro, too, but I figure I'll start with you and work my way up because as busy as you guys are, he's probably just a little bit busier. So I appreciate you carving out some time on your day off to do this. Whether he's busy or not, you can't understand what he says. So <laughs> I, I, this is probably better. That's fair. You can translate. Yeah. I mean, my Italian shit, but we'll try. That's fair. Uh, for those that may not know who you are and may not be aware of kind of Bello and what Bello is, can you just kind of quickly introduce yourself in the restaurant? Sure. Uh, my name is Frank. Uh, I cook food for a living. I like making pizza and I'm the chef of the Bello, which is an Italian restaurant in Newport Beach. Uh, we're not like a red sauce joint. We kind of focus on either modern Italian food or really classic or even sometimes ancient recipes from Italy uh, that just sort of the way you would more or less see food done in Italy very simple very clean uh, not overly complicated you know so it's a little different it is but you know what it's good it is it's different in a good way and obviously Bello is a newer restaurant how long have you guys been open uh, five months so still a so baby like 
we're a baby. We're, yeah. we're children. Five months, very um, much a baby. Yeah, and when this all started, you know, the, the lockdown, uh, <laughs> that, that shit fucking killed us in about March. So we'd only opened in November. Yeah. So like we didn't even have that time to really, we were just getting our feet wet. You know, we had a review started to come out and people writing about us. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, by the way, uh, Yahtzee, go fuck yourself. You can't have people in the dining room anymore. Thanks, pandemic. <laughs> Where were you at before I, you went to Bellow? Uh, before I was at Bellow, I was helping out uh, a few different places up in L.A. County and Long Beach. Uh, basically, basically just running pizza programs. I had a funny conversation with my wife the other day that like, no matter where I go or what I do, I wind up making pizza. It's really weird. But uh, most notably, I was the, ran the pizza program out of Dutch's Brewhouse, which is a small indie brewery out of uh, Long Beach. Awesome. And it has, it's well praised for beer and pizza. It was cool, man. It was kind of being on vacation for a couple of years. <laughs> like, I just get to eat beer. I get to drink beer and eat pizza, man. Like, what do you do for a living? I teach people how to make pizza. I'm weird. sorry for your struggle. That so, sounds like a very difficult work environment. <laughs> weird life. But uh, it's fun. And it's cool working in a different industry for a little bit. Like breweries had a lot of weird problems. Yeah. Um, just like all industries, you know, all hospitality type industries. But seeing the, the commercial production side of it all really sparked my interest. Yeah, that's you completely know, different. Seeing what's possible. So let's jump right into the pizza aspect of it. Cause obviously Bello has, you guys have like the pizza oven. Everything is set up for that pandemic hits. You're closed trying to, it, it, it's one thing to kind of pivot a business to take out and stuff like that, which everyone has has to do, but you guys have gone in a different direction with regards to your pizza. Can you kind of elaborate the program that you're launching? Yeah. Because you know, we're recording this on Monday, the 18th of May. Your program is going live uh, this week, depending on when people listen to this episode. So can you dive into how you guys are pivoting? So we, like everybody else, offer takeout, right? And for the first few weeks, we tried a bunch of bullshit. We tried making lasagna, make your own pasta kits, and just our regular menu. Then we ended up paring down our menu because we're like, this isn't working. Uh, we need to focus on what works, what sells, what our guests want, you know? Which ended up just being pasta and pizza, pasta and pizza, and a few salads here or there, right? Mm-hmm. And... Um, we did this pizza week thing as like a joke in the beginning of March, like this March madness of pizza thing. Like we're going to make different pizzas every day and blah, blah, blah. And I, and I ended up thinking, you know, if there was a way I can put a good quality pizza in someone's house and they can just have it and they can keep it in the freezer and it's not fucking cardboard like DiGiorno or any of these companies, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that might be worth doing, you know, like that might be worth exploring. So over the past, I want to say three, four weeks, I've been eating a lot of frozen pizza and not mine, which look, let's, let's, let's call it spade a spade. Frozen pizza is not bad. Okay. Yeah. Like in general, I, I hate the elitism of food people. I think it's fucking stupid bullshit. Good frozen pizza is still good. Unfortunately, their dough is never good. Almost ever. CPK frozen pizza gets kind of close to a half decent dough. And so, basically, I researched and just tried to figure out how these frozen pizzas were being manufactured and what it takes. And I saw Roberta's, I don't know if they do this anymore, Roberta's out of New York, and they also have one in Culver City, used to, or still do, I couldn't find them still available, a wood-fired frozen pizza. And I couldn't find how they made it or anything. I just knew it existed at one point in time, mm-hmm. right? So I was like, well, fuck. I do that for a living. I could figure this out. And I had a little bit of, uh, a little bit of commercial food production uh, stuff under my belt from helping out some like food science chef shit years ago. But the things I worked on never went to market, you know, mm-hmm. and it's all about units and shit. And it just wasn't fun. I like restaurant life better. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so we just started testing it 
we made all different types of dough. We made pan pizzas. We made Sicilian style pizza. We made Neapolitan pizza. And we kind of ended up in this hybrid of like American pizza and Neapolitan with our pizza. And that's really, I mean, you got our pizza. That's kind of what our pizza is anyway. Yeah. Right. It's not quite Neapolitan. Cause it's not quite a soup in the middle and it's not quite the cojone like isn't super fluffy but it's still got a nice chew and it also has a little bit of a crust that's kind of crunchy, you know? Um, that's kind of where we ended up anyways. And so then it just took about two weeks of just making pizza every day all the time, which we were already doing, but being a little more scientific about it, you know, like if I cook it at this temperature for this long in this spot in the oven, uh, what's what's the result I yield after it's been cooled down for two hours in the fridge Mm -hmm. and then vacuum sealed and then frozen. Like I think when people look at that pizza project, you know, you know, hashtag go pizza project, uh, they just look at like, Oh, you just put a pizza in a bag and freeze it. I fucking wish it was that easy. I swear (laughs) to God, it's now becoming closer to being that easy only because we put the two, three weeks into like pure R and D of just this dough doesn't work. Throw it out. This doesn't work. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. And now we're at a point where I can now very comfortably look at somebody and go, put this in your home oven, 400 degrees, 450 around there, wherever you feel like you want it, you know, you want more crispy, turn it up. You want to keep it nice and soft and pillowy, keep it at 400, mm-hmm. throw it in there for five to eight minutes. And you have almost, uh, like it's it's close as I think you're going to get in a home oven, right? Like yeah. to a high quality restaurant pizza and it's going to cost you 12 bucks. And it's like at the root of this all, how do we feed everybody when everyone's trying to be tight on cash, real food with real ingredients and not tell them, yeah, it's $65 to order a fucking grub hub. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't exactly. want, I don't want that. So when is, so are you guys set to basically launch kind of the frozen pizza project? So we just did a beta test. Okay. Um, and my friends in the tech business have really helped me with like how to do this properly. Mm-hmm. And I think food people don't understand this quite yet. And I don't either. Like I'm not some fucking guru. I'm just trying my best, right? I'm trying to thumb my way through this uh, problem that takes elegant artist fingers, you know? <laughs> um, and uh, they're like, do a beta test. And I was like, like a video game? You know, like I was like so confused because <laughs> like I'm not a tech guy, you know, like yeah. I, just, I cook food, man. And and like party. So uh, they tell me like, yeah, so you make a, a batch size, you test it out and you make another batch size, you test it out. And we've been doing that now for a week, week or two. Uh, no, a week. Oh, oh, this has been the first official week of beta testing. I'm going through my notes right now. And so far, response has been good. Everyone says it works the way they want it to work. We had one small issue of someone's electric apartment oven that didn't work very well. But I've had other apartment ovens work fine. My apartment work, oven works fine. So uh, that might be an off case. But so far, we've sold, I think, 60 pieces in a week. Maybe. That's awesome. 50. Um, it, it's not like we're not trying to make money, right? Like, Right now, the point is, can we make a product that works everywhere Mm -hmm. and works to fit budgets and works to fit what people's needs are? I mean, during, we've been a little post on Instagram, like, hey, we're beta testing this week. Who wants to buy some pizza? Some people bought in there, came in and bought like eight pieces. I was like, Jesus Christ, this is not the idea of this. Like, the idea is you take one or two and you tell me how it works. You test them out. You don't take the entire batch because then you screw up (laughs) our, I had to like make, I had to make like 30 extra in one day. I was like, what just happened? My GM came by. I was like, uh, thank you. So I don't know to tell you. I sold out to the pizza. I was like, what do you mean? It's supposed to be like one per person. He was like, a guy came in and bought the eight. eight. I was like, well, what the fuck, man? <laughs> <laughs> and so the beta test kind of just turned into a launch, but it's really just a beta test. Gotcha. Next week, we're going to add in another pizza. So we're going to have our Calabrese, which is the spicy salami from Calabria, mm-hmm. on a uh, pizza with pomodoro, aged gouda, fresh mozzarella, and Sicilian oregano. And it's going to be kind of like our version of a pepperoni pizza, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that will be ready to go with the margarita starting Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And we're going to let that ride for like a couple of weeks, you know, maybe a month. Just let those two ride. And I want to get feedback and I want to see it work and I want to see it do well. And if it does well, man, hell, this could be a cool thing, man. Like, again, the original goal was how do we deliver something high quality at an affordable price to make it easy for someone to just make dinner for them and their family on like a Monday night, you know, or yeah. a Tuesday night. It, it's and you almost, don't have to get shitty food to do it. No, it's it's like a perfect kind of amalgam of a standard restaurant dining experience meets fast casual. So, I mean, th- this is like the whole story about how Wolfgang Puck got into it is Johnny Carson just kept taking his pizzas and throwing them in the freezer and then yeah. like, oh shit, there's something here. So I, yeah, agree. I, I mean, look, frozen pizza gets a bad rap. I love it. I've got three of them in my freezer right now. And yeah. if I'm feeling lazy, you bet your ass that I'm chucking them in the oven. So to be able to get something like the quality of Bello, and by the way, if you're listening to this and you haven't gone to Bello, go and eat the food because it is really, really, really good what you guys do there. I love your food. I appreciate that, it, That man. sounds awesome to be able to do that. It's, uh, we make everything, you know, <laughs> like, and some restaurants say that, I mean, we kind of almost make everything outside of a few things. So do you find yourself, (laughs) no, you guys do a ton in house. It's insane. Um, and that's why I want (laughs) to ask, are you busier now than you were kind of like before COVID-19 having to do all this R and D and kind of putting in all this effort, not just to pivot, but it's a different kind of busy. Yeah. It's it's not like before this, I was curing spoonie all the time. I was, uh, running the kitchen every day, doing prep, taking care of orders, checking uh, invoices and making sure the books were, good and helping them with that stuff um it's really a team effort you know to run a restaurant so now during this it's just the management staff that's left mm-hmm. at the moment so it's sandra and i roberto and our sous chef Jill Berto. and um that's a confusing day when it's just roberto and Gilberto, <laughs> and i have to be there and i'm like hey uh roberto and then Gilberto pops his head out of a different room and I'm like, no, the other one. Dude. He's got to be like, look, someone's getting a nickname today. That's just the way yeah. this is going. You're Keith for yeah. the rest of the day. So just buckle in. <laughs> You're fucking Tom. All right, bud. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, um, and so it's just, it's just the four of us, you know? And so the workload physically outside of big production days is a lot less, yeah. right? Like you're just not serving that many people. And we have moments where we do a good amount of sales on to go. But a lot of our time right now is R&D. You know, we're, very, we're in a very fortunate place financially. Um, I think being new helps out a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're not out of the woods. You know, I don't want to see anyone close. Uh, I heard this little place in, in Orange uh, today uh, close called the Chili Peppers. It's like American Mexican food, squishy burritos with green sauce and cheese. It's not fancy at all. Giant uh, schooners of margaritas, you know? Yeah. But, like, I love that place. And when they hear them close, they've been around for, like, 30 years. I was really bummed out, you know? And yeah, so, it's been rough. Um, we're, we're trying to just keep our heads above water and be smart with the decisions we make and try to make uh, a, bit, a, bit of, a bit of bit of cash when we can, you know? Yeah. Um. And again, the pizza thing is not about making cash. That's about feeding people. Look, I'm not making money off 12 bucks pizza. Let's be honest here. I think that there's a massive kind of misunderstanding from the general public, maybe the people that they won't even hear a show like this because they're just kind of such casual eaters and the fact that they're just going to, you know, Google or Yelp a place to go and they're just going to end up there and whatever experience they have, that's just purely based on the reviews. But there yeah. is this huge aspect of, I think people think, oh, you know, they're doing this. They're just trying to make money. You know, they're, they're making sales. They're fine. They've got to go. And that's not the case. I think a lot of people, it really no. is just about God, no. feeding people. It's not about, yeah, you're going to keep the lights on and you're going to try to pay rent and figure out, you know, how to cover your skeleton crew, however you can. All but, I give a shit about is paying my rent right now Yeah, <laughs> and paying my bills. Um, it probably would behoove every restaurant to just shut down, and not pay anybody for a while. You'll last longer maybe, but you don't also don't achieve anything. Right. Yeah. Like you, you just sort of sit on your, on your couch, turn into a potato and like, I don't want to do that. Sonder doesn't want to do that. 
You know, we'd rather be working and just trying to figure out ways to help community out, make an affordable food product or help us out, research new ideas. We have like four or five ferments going right now of just stuff. We're like, we got this time. Let's make something. You know what I mean? Like, why Mm -hmm. not? What else are we doing? So you are the third chef in a row. Again, I generally, I record a couple of these episodes and I, I stagger out the release a little bit so I don't just flood them all at once. Um, you're the third chef in a row talking about how they're kind of doing fermenting and these kind of long-term projects now that you have this kind of free time. You guys do do a lot of stuff in-house, curing meats, things like that. Yeah. One, of my, one of my favorite photos ever is from your walk-in where there were just like three pig's heads in there, just like after being broken <laughs> down and stuff. What other oh projects are you working on? Are like, how else are you staying busy aside from your pizza project? Um, now that that's sort of, uh, got at least a formula that I can work with, I'm working on a lot more salumi. I'm going to start some long-term stuff. I want to try to make some, some hams or prosciuttos. Um, I have some Brazalo curing right now. I got to make, I want to make some cheese. Like, look, man, I want to, when we fire back up and God, I hope it's mid June. God, I hope mid-June, early June, whatever it's going to be. Um, I want to say it's going to be the same bellow that everyone left, you know, mm-hmm. um, with a lot of modern stuff, but that would be, that'd be wishful thinking, I think, you know. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be more, not casual, casual, maybe it's the right word. I don't know. It's just not going to be as intimate feeling, maybe. And so I'm trying to make things that really have lasting impact on a diner's palate that when they leave, they go, fuck, that's the only place I can get that. Yeah. You know, or I need to go to Bello for their naturally loving pizza, or I need to go and get their salumi because they're the only place really doing salumi, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, our pasta program has always been well known and talked about. And I think the pasta program is always going to be good. But now the POS program may have a small shift into not only being those brass cut shapes, we're introducing, I think we're going to try to introduce one or two hand-shaped things um, by the time we reopen, which is fun, you know? Yeah. I love that you're taking all that on. I think a lot of people, they see... You know, they know that you're doing the dough. They know that you're doing the pasta, but then they kind of look at some of the products that are on it, whether it's the salumis or things like that. And they're like, oh, they got these from a provider, or, you know, someone who makes these. And then they just go out and buy them. The fact that you guys are doing that in house is absolutely awesome. It's one of the things that I like we, most about your kitchen. We buy only air cured long term stuff. So, what I mean by that is we buy our Calabrese, which is a 24 month cure uh, hard salumi. We buy our prosciuttos right now, and we buy our—I think that's it. We used to buy others. Oh, we we buy our India because I, I tried making India a bunch of times, and I don't know. I couldn't get the right mold to grow, and I got frustrated. Yeah. So I just started buying it again. I was like, "Fuck it, <laughs> this is not worth my time." I've thrown out so much pork doing this, and uh, I think that's also the other thing. People think when you make your own stuff, it's cheaper. That's not always the case. Yeah. So, um, and they think that like, I mean, very similar to what you just said. You know, if uh, they see salumi or a cured product on a plate, they're like, oh, they bought it. You know, mm-hmm. I wish I, uh, I wish I could find people to make me uh, certain things that I want. <laughs> you know, I can't find somebody to make me my own caper berries. You know what I mean? Yeah. I could buy caper berries, but are they going to be made with the right kind of gin and the right kind of stuff that I want for my flavor profile? Probably not. So I have to then make them, you know? Um, And I think ultimately you're going to find a lot more chefs, the tinkerer in their brain come out more because now they're not burdened by like the stress of daily service. Right. Like mm-hmm. this is the one silver lining of this whole thing. And this thing is fucked up, you know, Yeah. from, from everyone's job to people getting sick and just, it's fucked, you know? Um, but now everyone has a Noma test kitchen. 
Yeah, exactly. Now everyone can be like Vial in Copenhagen. Now everyone can be like Geranium. Like everyone can now just go, I'm going to spend three months. I'm going to build a fermentation chamber and make my own Koji. Fuck it. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to get anyone sick. If I get anyone sick, I get myself sick. You know, I'm not trying to serve this to people. That is like one of the coolest things I see all my uh, buddies doing is like, they're like, oh man, I made these preserved Hokkaido fucking prune things. And I'm like, awesome. How long did it take? Oh, they've been going since February. And now they're ready. I'm like, that's rad. You know? Yeah, the creation now aspect has been insane. Uh, the amount of people, and again, like everybody, and I'm guilty of it too, shitting on everybody who's doing sourdoughs and stuff, but the, the quality of which people are creating things, the ferments, going, and they're all coming out unbelievable so you're right as dark as all this is as stressful as it is everybody's kind of losing their mind there has been this awesome epiphany of you're taking people with a wildly creative mind but you're strapping them on the line for six seven hours a night and while they have to plate you know 14 skirt steaks and you know 27 chilean sea bass you kind of don't get as creative when you're constantly having to plate sea bass so i like that everybody's kind of been able to step away and basically just kind of let the monkey out of the cage taken out yeah, exactly. But, like, like the monotony of like running a daily service has been removed for a lot of people. And there are a few kitchens I know. I know Bracken and uh, a couple other people are like, they're busier than ever. You know what I mean? Exactly. The homies down at Sergeant Pepperoni's, they, they make a, a half. I like their pizza. You know, I think it's good. Uh, <clears throat> and they're busier than ever. But the places that are a little more avant-garde, maybe a little more serious about their food. Now you have a moment to go, I don't have to worry about service. I don't have to worry about making sure everyone shows up to work. I don't have to worry about all these things. Get weird. Make some weird shit. You know, like, yeah. ferment whatever you want. And see how it goes. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. If you can afford to play around, play around. You know, and I think you're seeing a lot more people do that. As we do get closer, hopefully to reopening, uh, you know, safely and whatever that capacity is, you guys are a little bit in kind of a good position because you do have a pretty big square footage kind of dining space. You've got the patio, stuff like that. Have you already started to lay out like what it would look like if a thing lifted tomorrow and you could have dining guests? So there's a few things in the works that due to our contract, the airline company, I can't talk about about that. Yeah, that makes sense. But, but, um, in general, if everyone listen to key words here, you're adultery between the fucking lines. It's all hypothetical. If, Everything's hypothetical. Yeah, it's all hypothetical. It's all in the air. Who knows? If I was able to put way more chairs outside because it doesn't fall in the restrictions because it's outdoors, or if I was able to use the, the sidewalk space for more tables so I can feed more guests and I only have to restrict my indoor dining, if those things all happen, is it going to be the same? No. Am I going to be okay? I hope so. Um, but I think most restaurants are trying to make the best of a shit situation, right? Yeah. So, and if the partition thing sticks, what the winery is doing, and they let that be a thing, then that might change everyone's restaurant, right? Like, you might not have to really lose many, as many seats. But if we're following trends from Hong Kong to Georgia to Texas to fucking Minnesota, you know, places that are open, <clears throat> the six-foot radius bubble will be a thing. I agree. It'll be a thing for at least um, nine months, I think. So everybody... I, no, go ahead. Sorry, finish. I was going to say, and I think everyone's going to follow these rules for about 90 days, and they're going to say, fuck it. So I think everyone needs to be prepared for that. Um, yeah, I don't think there's going to be coming back to any of kind of the same, at least not, uh, for a little while. You mentioned those other States that are already open. Obviously everybody here wants to open. Everybody wants to get back to kind of what they're doing. Is there a benefit to having those other States already open while California is closed? Because some of these things are going to work. Some of these things are not going to work. We just don't know yet. Is it kind of a benefit letting them figure it out. I mean, you don't want anybody in the industry to fail nationwide. So I'm not wishing ill upon anybody. No. But is there a benefit no. to being like, Oh, this place in Georgia did that. And that was shit. That was a terrible idea. So the only thing I see is the silver lining and it might be because we're creeping up on summer, but you see the states are reopening and like the, 
it seems to me like the caseload isn't really jumping up like crazy, right? Some mm-hmm. states like Georgia are still petering down. So are we out of the woods? Fuck no. This shit's going to be around forever, right? That's, I think we're, it's going to be, uh, we're going to be in this for a long time, right? Yeah, I agree. But <laughs> um, we need to get comfortable with that and accept these changes, whether they are positive or negative. And just learn to live with it like we've lived through many viruses in our lives, right? Yep. And so if that means for the next nine months, I have to have six foot radius around my table, maybe the next year, then that's what I have to do, right? So, and you're seeing in certain states, does it work always? No. Do I think it's a little short-sighted? I'm not sure yet, right? Part of me thinks it is because uh, we don't really know. And part of me thinks it is because we don't know, right? Because we do know, right? Like the data we do know and the data we don't know, you know? Yeah. So it's like, that was a very convoluted, confusing statement. Um, <laughs> but uh, it was more or less like what we know versus what we don't know. Does what we know outweigh what we don't know? That's the biggest question. Yeah. And I think if... Hong Kong and Sweden and Taiwan and Korea, which by the way, they're not running six foot around tables, right? No, they're not. They're, and watching Korea especially has been super interesting on this. Yeah. And so maybe we are all freaked out way more than we should be in America, which probably, but who knows? I don't know. I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a doctor, you know? Um, but I just try to look at, countries that are doing a good job with this and how their restaurants and their hospitality industry is performing and they don't seem to have this fear of the six foot thing do you know what i mean yeah like i've seen it the photos that have come out of like singapore and stuff have been very interesting yeah and um and so i wonder we need to do that you know i'm not going to say this virus is bullshit and because it's not look man i just had family members get very sick you know yeah so um it's not but is the reaction to it a little little skewy 100 percent, probably yeah um so we just need to be we just need to watch what happens you know and see how this all actually moves forward and i'm i know that anyone who who gives a shit about their business wants to be open tomorrow but you also have to give a little bit of shit about the ramifications of just doing whatever the fuck you want to, mm-hmm. you know? So I know a couple of restaurants have just opened and yep. done their thing. And Hey man, I'm not going to judge you. You got to okay. You got stuff to do. Um, I get it, but they also need to accept that. Like if this goes bad for you, dude, <laughs> then like, you made this bed. It's a really big you know? if. I know. It's. I've been watching it and trying to bite my tongue about a lot of things, but some of the things that you see, it's like there's a bigger picture out there than just that. But I get it. I, yeah, again, I see both like, sides of it. I have employees who need the money. Yeah. You know, they're, they, they, they're not eligible for unemployment, you know? Mm-hmm. And they got to keep a roof over their head. And, and I didn't want this to be like a political thing. I want to talk more about pizza. But the people who are upset at people who want to open and they say that they just want to, they, they, they'd rather have people die than their businesses fail. That's fucking bullshit. Yeah. Okay. Like if a guy who runs a business, um, and has employees who aren't eligible for any aid, that's bullshit. No one wants that, but they also don't want to flush everything they've worked for for 20 years down the drain. Yeah. Flush I hear it. you. It's a, it's it's um, it's convoluted, and, it, and again, it's not meant to be a political podcast. It's meant to be talking about food, but all of these podcasts are being recorded during a worldwide pandemic. So, literally kind of the a, worst time ever. We were playing Dungeons and Dragons, Crawford. We rolled a one. <laughs> we rolled a one, and we are dying. Yeah, nothing's really going so kind of well right now. This is this. <laughs> it, Again, I do a lot of coaching of youth sports on the side, and I'll, I'll check in with some of these kids, and I'm like, what have you been doing for three weeks? They're like, just playing Warzone and getting killed every single day. A kid, it's, I'm like, yeah, that's kind of what it's like for adults, too. It's just one, yeah, big, it's one big Fortnite game, and everybody's job. a restaurant instead of people. It's all it is. Yeah. yeah, I had to explain to somebody one day. They're like, so what do you do on your days off now? I'm like, 
smoke weed, play computer games. <laughs> like, it's not much else to do. Supposed, yeah, what's supposed to do, man? Like, normally I would go visit other people and go to the restaurants, go to the bars, and go see a concert, go to a show. Now it's like, nah, all that's done. Yep, so not much else to. I, I got, stay I got, busy. I got at least, I got nine months to a year before I can go see a concert again. So I know we is got there, some time. Is there any part of the hospitality industry um, that might have been like? God, this is going to be an open-ended question. That was a negative Ooh, aspect of working in it that you hope doesn't come back from kind of after the pandemic. Is there anything that you kind of hope gets left? I guess in the past yeah, we can. Call there is it. something actually. Uh, I hope the insane workaholic attitude that is like fostered into cooks at a young age. Like I started cooking uh, at a young age, man. You know, mm-hmm. I grew up in a home where we ate dinner every night together, and I started working in restaurants when I was younger, and. So I don't know anything else other than, bro, if you're not working 80, 90 hours a week, you're, uh, you're, you're a fucking work, you know? Like, yeah. so I think we need to start getting to more of a normal schedule for everyone. A more of a, like, you're never going to have a nine to five. You work in the restaurant business unless you want to do brunch forever, which let's do a nice little, uh, golf spot for a D win, figuring it out, having a super successful award-winning restaurant and only working five days a week. Yeah, um, break that's of, amazing. And again, for those that may not know who he's talking about, he's talking about D. Win, who runs Break of Dawn in Laguna Hills. It is yeah, an he's absolutely like my phenomenal thing. Dad. It it doesn't it doesn't like make sense to look at it. We're only being open for brunch a couple days a week, but it's absolutely <laughs> amazing. And once they and he's doing a lot of great work right now up with the OC yeah. Baking Company with Dean Kim. So Break of Dawn is not open at the moment, but you can check out his stuff up at the OC Baking Company. Yeah, um, he was like he's like one of my culinary dads, you know. Uh, he, he treats me like one of his kids, man. He's, yeah, he's unbelievably talented. Yeah. Um, so I wish we could start to see – there's this big push about mental health, you know, for cooks and chefs and bartenders and mm-hmm. restaurant workers before this. And uh, we had Anthony Bourdain die and a couple other chefs and a bartender from New York. And it was like no one's – so I always compare cooks and chefs to comedians and to artists because like comedy loves misery. Cooks love being miserable, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, and I know that sounds really weird and people are going to think I'm wrong for saying that. Um, I'm 33 years old. I'm, I'm approaching 17 years of doing this. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm not wrong. Okay. No. I've done everything there is under the sun as far as partying after work, right? Uh, and there's a reason, because you get in this, everyone reads Kitchen Confidential, and everyone wants to be a part of that pirate ship, and they want to be these little, little fucking rebels and be the outsiders of the world. And in many ways, you are, because you work when everyone's getting off of work, you know? Yeah. Um, but we need to start having a real conversation when this is, starts to either mellow out or end about bringing that conversation back. You know, how do we get a normal 40 to 60 hour work week instead of a 60 to 120 hour work week for these people? How do we get them a little more money in their pocket? I'm very proud to say that at Bella, we pay well above what most places pay for cooks because we understand that I ask a lot of you. I ask a lot of your time. A lot of your time away from your family, from your personal activities, you know, so that should be compensated for, you know? Yeah, that's for sure. And that was a big thing, you know? And even little things like uh, we serve family meal every day. Even during quarantine, we do family meal for each other. That's awesome. And it's like everyone sits down, eats a meal together. It, It makes everyone feel like they're being listened to and they can air their grievances, you know, during that time. They can do whatever they need to do. Um, and I think that that mental health conversation and that workaholic life, and I understand the business needs a lot of, needs a lot of work and it needs a lot of people to do the work. But I think owners and owner operators and stuff need to start to learn to be more comfortable with delegating, you know? Yeah, I agree with I you. Had a, I had a scare a few years ago where I was working a crazy amount of time and I got really sick, you know? I was working like 
seven days a week, 12, 14 hours a day, run ragged, partying at night, working in the morning, all through the day, you know, and I had a little moment where I was like, I need to check out, you know, for a little <laughs> bit. Um, and I did, and it actually did me a lot of good, but. Again, I think, I, I think how many people, they look from the outside in and they see that obviously when you're on the line during a dinner service, oh, you're, you're working. Man, bro. Yeah. But what they don't see is that you basically work all day just to work all night. I think yep. I heard Gabrielle Hamilton say that. And again, it's a, it's, it's almost kind of ironic and great that you're bringing this up. May is mental health awareness month. Um, and obviously, yeah, there's been a ton that's been going on with the hospitality industry, some very, very vocal groups. Um, I know the guys up at Joe beef have been huge kind of pushing a lot of like, for the Canadian Dude, hospitality guys, market. McMillan and uh, McMillan and those guys, like they're, they're the man, dude. Yeah. They're, they're unbelievable. They're, you're also seeing a lot more chefs go sober. That's like becoming a yeah, thing I've are. noticed. Um, I myself don't really drink that much anymore. I'll have a beer once in a while. I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm sober because I'm not, but I've definitely taken the, turn the speedometer down a bunch. Yeah. What's well, um, restriction? You know, it, you can't get off yeah. the line. You can't break down and then, you know, go out till three in the morning when you got to be back into prep at eight in the morning type of thing. I mean, it just doesn't work. That lifestyle doesn't it work. It doesn't work. It, that's, I think that's the root of the whole thing, right? Yeah. The schedule for operation in most restaurants doesn't work. Right. Mm -hmm. So you have to now find a way to make that work better. And, uh, we even change our schedules right before we close to cook for dinner service don't arrive until three or four in the afternoon. That's awesome. So like, I, I just, I went through that, man. You know, like yeah. I cooked in those places from 11 in the morning till two in the morning. You know, when I tell people that they think I'm kidding and I'm like, I'm not like, I'm dead fucking serious that I would show up and we would start work at 11 in the morning and you eat all your meals at the restaurant, which may be one meal that day, family meal, you know? Yeah. And then you get off at two in the morning and, you go to an after hours bar that'll let you in, you know, because you want to decompress, and, you want to blow off steam. You want to talk about yeah. that one table that sent that dish back four times. You want to shoot the bullshit about what it's like with everybody else in the industry, because that's the only people that historically would understand where you were coming from. Yeah. And then uh, you get home, it's four in the morning, five in the morning. And guess what, bud? You got to be up at 10. The comparison, nine. comparing to comedians is really, really that's a really great comparison because there's so many comedians throughout the years that are great. And obviously they, they get finished, they do their sets and then they go out and there's a lot of comedians that have ended up like taking their own lives or just going down really destructive oh, paths yeah. just because of that inability to kind of break away from you the crowd. You have nowhere to go. No. Right. Like you can never turn off. That's like the thing I always worry about. Like I have a, I have a good grip of friends who are comedians or in varying levels of success. You know, some mm -hmm. of them are, if I, yeah, some of them are very successful. And uh, I got to hang out with them a lot growing up, you know, when I first moved to Long Beach. Six, I don't know. It's been a while now, six or years ago. And uh, when I first started working up here. And uh, I immediately knew who they were as people. And it, 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 was, it was a weird thing where I was like, oh, I know you. Even though we just met, I know who you are in your head. Yeah. Like, you're just a cook. Like, you're trying to make this thing happen that no one actually gives a shit about except it's like three to four small percent of people. But you do it because you want to give the laughter to someone else. Where cooks, I think, are generally nurturing people and they want to feed people, you know? But all that work, all that time, it's a grind, man. And no one cares if you have a good set. No one cares if you put about a bad dish. As a matter of fact, those things might ruin your career for a short period of time. Like, so it, it resonated with me hearing these guys talk about their sets, you know, and hearing about what it's like to try to grind up to be a comedian of a, a headliner or a middle act, you know? Yeah. And it was like, Oh, I know who that person is. It's the same thing as a cook goes from a cook to a sous chef to a chef. It's the same, it's the same growth. It seems like to me. Well, it's an un it's, it's an so undying pursuit to create a reaction from someone, right? It, it could be you plating a dish to <laughs> see that reaction on a diner's face. It could be them formulating yeah. a joke to get that reaction from the audience. So it's it's a super, it, super great comparison. It just it made sense, right? So mm -hmm. um it was just uh it was just a weird time in my life and I don't know how we got here. So for <laughs> for the mental health aspect to kind of improve once we get back from this 
obviously there's changes that need to be made within the industry. I, I think there's countless ones and you could spend hours and hours just listing them. Uh, but oh, how, yeah. how much of that is on the industry? And then how much of that is on diners? Because I would argue that diners expectations need to drastically change. And again, and not even getting into, you know, Yelp and reviews and things like that from every amateur food critic with a phone. But how much of that is going to have to be the diners? <laughs> the fucking worst people. <laughs> <laughs> I love them to death, but I also hate them. It's like a weird. It's this. The dichotomy of the Yelp elite person is. I know. Oh, I've, I've got. That's I've a got, whole podcast, buddy. I know. I've got two <laughs> or three friends that are Yelp elite, and I think they're good humans, and they know what they're talking about. And then you just look at the rest of the reviews, and you're like, I, you all should be airlifted out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty bad. I, I mean, I, I know a lot of the same people, you know. Yeah. And sometimes I'm like, brutal, fuck. <laughs> like, not very. I don't think that was fair, you know. Like, <laughs> and so, um, yeah. Uh, I mean, how much is on the restaurant industry? I think the re- that restaurant industry is going to take a gut check through this whole thing, right? And hopefully, I'm hopeful more restaurants come out more appreciative of this than they were before. Cause there are plenty of restaurants in the world where they go, it's a fucking honor to work here. You get to put this on your resume after a year, yeah. you know, and I've worked in those places. Trust me. And they treat you like shit and they don't care. And that's started to change anyways. Right. Like ever since, I don't know, top chef became a big thing. And you got a lot of uh, more normies into the business, you know, <laughs> uh, you couldn't really dress people down like you used to, you know? No, that like, classic, like them, the Paul, yeah, Boku, the Paul Boku's like military aspect of things. I remember one fading. time, I'm not going to name the man. I was, uh, I think 19 or 20 years old. I said, yeah, whatever you need, dude, he's a French man. And he slapped me across the face. If you did that now, you're in jail. You're getting sued. You would be a leading like, story on every online news site ever. Yeah. But this is 2007 or eight, you know, like no one gave a shit about cooks back then. Top chef had just come out, you know, and it wasn't even that big yet, you know? And so no one really cared about it. Still back then being a chef wasn't cool. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't a cool thing to do. People didn't go, oh, man, that's awesome. You're going to be a chef. I, I remember being in culinary school and a man telling me, you know, you're probably better suited getting a real degree so you can go work in an office and make a real living. And I was like, yo, fuck you, dude. <laughs> like, I at least enjoy what I do. You have to just go suck the teeth of some boss in an office. You know, like, I'm not doing that shit. Hey, there's a reason that I'm I'm here trying to do this and make this work. I don't really see myself as a cubicle man. So, <laughs> no man, I'll break that cubicle in half. Um, <laughs> but I think the restaurant industry is going to take a gut check, so, and they're going to realize that cooks are important and the mental stability of their staff is important. I think staff in general are going to be more weary. Um, and I don't want to talk about the unemployment thing. That thing was handled so poorly that now people don't want to come back to work. Um, but. I think staff who do come back to work are going to be more weary of spending tons of time in a close little space with people, you know? Yeah. Um, I think time heals a little bit of everything, you know, at least the general fear will mellow out in a few months. But in the beginning, for sure, you're going to have people who don't want to spend a ton of time at work, you know? Yeah, completely. And don't want to be around people. And I think being more cognizant, at least the management side of the restaurant industry, of the mental health of your cooks will play as much of a part, and it already has in some places, but it'll play as much a part as the physical health and wellness, you know, like making sure you're not sick and things like that. I think making sure you're in the right headspace, you know, and making sure you're not stressed out about things that you can't control. And if you need to, if you feel like, if the restaurant's financially able to help, people you know like oh man i'm really struggling because of this whole thing maybe they can do that for their best employees you know or as many as they can yeah but i think just it's on the onus of the management more than the employee you just keep tabbing everybody i call my staff once a week you know yeah how you doing? What people are doing what's everyone doing cool 
awesome. I'm glad you're doing okay. Um, or sometimes they'll, they'll message me on Instagram or text me, you know, and, uh, it's cute to get messages and they're sweet kids. Some of them, some of our younger cooks, we miss you and Sandro. We want to come back to work. You know, like that's awesome. I love that shit. That's good. Um, as far as the diner is concerned, look, the diners come out and come out of this and they don't appreciate. And this is a big ask. I'm just being up front. And they don't appreciate these people either hung their job up for a few months or stuck it out, made less money or no money and just fed people. Right. And they don't come in being more appreciative that they're still around their favorite taco shop, their favorite pasta place, their sandwich shop, their coffee shop, whatever. Fuck you. That's like my opinion. I know it sounds really rude and not, that's not very nice people, but like everyone has to realize that everyone was affected. Right. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> it was already a tough job before and now we're going to have new restrictions where we might have to, or will have to wear masks. We might have to keep, uh, different seating arrangements and things. Everyone's trying their best and everyone's trying to relearn how to do this. Please, 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 please understand that. You know, people are going to be working with less, less staff. People are going to be working with smaller menus. People are going to be working with, no, they will not fill your water up. No, they will not pour you a new glass of wine. They'll just take your glass away and bring you a fresh glass. You know, like, everyone needs to be aware that these things are coming and to accept that this is going to take some time to get this down and to make it feel less weird. I know for Bello, we're going to give you two menus now. One with the descriptions and the price, and one like a sushi menu that you check off what you want. That's an interesting way to do it. I've seen, yeah. So, so first of all, don't don't apologize for saying that because I completely agree with you because everyone wants to quote unquote get back to normal. Uh, there is no but the issue is normal that, for at least a year. Exactly. Like everyone has to accept that, right? So everybody's going to want to get year. back to it, and it's not going to be there. So people are going to have to have patience. They're going to have to give grace because now you took, like you said, a hard industry. And you completely flipped its script on its head. So what was once already difficult is going to be even Some more restaurants so. will never be able to do that. No. Right? Completely. Like, Just I worry about restaurants. Yeah, I worry about restaurants like even, even simple certain taco shops. They may never be able to do this this right way that I, that I, that I frequent because they're just a walk-up window. Yeah. You know? What if they tell them, well, you can't have a walk-up window anymore because you can't control the outside bugs or whatever the fuck, you know? Well, like, then they're just screwed, man. Like, they can't fix that. They can't rebuild their building, you know? So, I think uh, diners need to have some, like you said, some grace, you know? They need to relax, appreciate, they can go out to dinner, and cooks need to appreciate that diners are willing to come sit down in their space, and Let's figure this out together. The more the restaurant can be a part of the community and the more the community can be a part of the restaurant, the better this all is going to work. I agree. The accepting that it's just a fucking place I get my goddamn tacos from. <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's not a thing, man. I know. It's, and that's one of the reasons that I was so glad to, that you were able to make time and get on the show is I've always, from the moment that I met you and first tasted your food, I was a huge fan of just how kind of blunt and honest you are about things. Um, which is actually why the point of being another way. No, I don't, I really don't. No, absolutely not. I agree with you hundred percent on that because I think the more that you kind of beat around the bush on any topic related to like this virus, you're just doing yourself a disservice. You just need to address things directly and upfront and just get this, swallow the pill and get it out of the way. So I completely agree with you. Rip the bandaid off, man. Let's go. Because now I feel like, uh, we, we probably, we, we, we need to, we really, as a, as a, a county, we've been very fortunate, right? Mm-hmm. As far as caseloads and things, not everyone has. That's truthful as fuck. Uh, but if we're going to do this, let's do this. Let's rip the bandit off. Let's make the changes we need to make. And let's start getting everyone comfortable with the new situation. I hate new normal. 
I think that shit's fucking stupid. I know. I had, uh, I had Andrew Gruel on a couple episodes ago, and we we both agreed we hated that term. And I think, and I think I even used it in the interview. And I saw him tweet out later that night. It's basically the same thing. Like, get rid of the term "new normal." It's so stupid. It's stupid. Like, oh shit! Because it's saying, not normal. It's not. There's no. It's, it's an oxymoron. Normal. It's jumbo shrimp. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, it doesn't make any fucking sense because what we're gonna live through, and we will all. I don't want to say this with in complete certainty. We will all make it, you know. Uh, the, the the chances of you making it through and getting back to what we used to know are pretty fucking good. So let's just accept that this is going to suck from 9 to 12 to 14 months, okay? And you're going to have to accept some different situations when it comes to dining, going to bars, getting your, your Chipotle, getting your In-N-Out, you know, whatever these whatever everyone eats, you know, and just accept this is how it's going to have to be for a little while. And in a year's time, when some wounds start to heal, when maybe there's some treatments available, maybe God forbid some level of vaccine available, then we can just go to a bar again, go to a show again. Yeah. Go hug random friends, take a sip of your friend's beer. But for right now, we got to hold it down. We got to hold it down. Everyone's got to accept this is what it is for the next nine to 14 months. I can you know? completely agree with you, man. And that's why I uh, it, appreciate the honesty. It sucks, it. man. It, it sucks. There's no way around it. It is going to suck. I literally go to work, home, or I see my mother. That is it. You know what I mean? And me and my siblings have all agreed that's what we're doing, right? We're either at our own place or work where we have almost no one working with us these days or some of my siblings work from home or we go to my mom. I you know, know. My, my dogs are That's starting it. to give me a look like, bro, you like update a resume. Maybe this isn't for you. <laughs> get out, get out of the house. <laughs> I was talking to my wife. It's funny you say that. I had like a weird thing. I was, I was pretty stoned. All right, let's just start there. And I was like, we were watching TV, hanging out. And I was like, maybe I'm going to go on Amazon Web Services and learn how to Linux backend stuff. And she's like, you stop it right now. <laughs> you are not going to do that job. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm going to look into it. And so I get on my laptop and I start looking into it and I go, yeah, fuck this. <laughs> I'm not doing this. I, so I know I, I, I'm a pizza man. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, that's what I do. Yeah. I am a pizza man and doing them well, like, doing them well. Uh, uh, well, look, I got one more question for you just cause I've had it on my mind ever since. And it's on anything you want, my dude. <laughs> it's a much lighter topic, luckily, because I know we've had a bit of a heavy episode, but I'm super grateful for it so far. Hey, I've listened to a couple of episodes, and I know people want to stay safe and be nice and proper. I'm going to shit about that stuff. So let's go. <laughs> um, obviously, you got a fair amount of tattoos. Chefs are kind of notorious for having sleeves and stuff like that. One of your tattoos is a Pokeball from the video game franchise That's Pokemon. True. And by the way, if you're listening to this, you don't know what Pokemon is, just turn the episode off because you missed a big section of your life. Yeah. Also, if you don't know me, I'm a huge nerd. Like, I wear shirts. I'm actually wearing one right now. It says, We Play Dragons on the front. It's uh, it's uh, my, it was an old wargaming club I was a part of for a very long time. Which, all anyone who knows me knows I'm a giant fucking nerd. I have the Hobbit tattooed on my arm. Awesome. Yeah, Pokeball. So, right, so you're a big charcuterie guy, stuff like that. And I had this thought the moment mm -hmm. I met you. I'm like, I'm gonna fucking ask him this one day. What Pokemon would you make charcuterie out of? Oh, this is a good question. I like this. This is, um, this is deep hitting journalism right here. Dude, it's pandemic journalism. Like, do whatever <laughs> you want. Just look what CNN does or CNBC or Fox. They make up shit. Um, this, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go Snorlax. All right. Snorlax is big and fat. He's like a big bear thing. Um, he's like, he's like the Pokemon that's like the meme. Like he just sits there, he's big, fat and sleeps. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, but he's big and fat, right? He's got a lot of fat on him. I figure we could chop him up. I know there's pig Pokemon for all the people who are Pokemon people out there. Nah, that's a cop um, out. That's a cop out. We want to go that's weird a cop with this. Out. You gotta go weird. I would never say Pikachu because I don't think you can make good charcuterie out of rat. I also feel like so. that's just a PR nightmare waiting to happen. Yeah. Putting Pikachu on the menu is like, Pikachu. that's like putting a horse tartare <laughs> on the menu. Like again, Joe Beef gets away. Right. You put, yeah. All right. Can we talk about horse tartare real quick? Quick, we quick absolutely can. Yeah, we can sidebar into horse tartare. Horse is just cow with a different face. I said it. 
I'm just going to say it again. Horse is just a cow with a different face. Okay? <laughs> For everyone who's weird about horse, I've been in Montreal. I've eaten in Quebec. I've had horse. Let's not be weird about this. Move on. Okay. Snorlax charcuterie. Snorlax charcuterie. You got a lot of fat. So you got to make lardo, right? Like yeah. You got to make the lardo. So Snorlax lardo. I think if we're going Japanese, because it is Japanese, we're going to koji cure it with some kombu and soak it in some mirror and after it's cured. All right. I think that's how we're going to go with that one. I like now it. Now, the meat. Are we the only. I'll probably. I would probably, probably do a brazala with its legs, but cure it in some dried mushrooms and some salt and stuff. So you can get like umami is all get out. Yeah. Um. And then you got ground meat. Um, ooh, you also make a liver, a liver terrina. Make a liver terrine. Wait, that'd be a big I wonder terrine. what a Snorlax, yeah, I wonder what a Snorlax liver would be. I, I wonder. Know. What do they eat? I don't know. I don't know if they I just sleep. They eat grass. Yeah, they just sleep. They eat dream. Oh, the dream eater terrine. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Snorlax, this is the first thing I pop in my mind. He's big and fat. I like fat it. means flavor. I like fat does mean flavor. Brian Polson, great. Fat is flavor. Yeah, fat is our friend. Fat is our friend, man. That That's awesome, man. A G. Brian Polson was a G. Yeah, he is. He's king of charcuterie. I absolutely adore him. So if yeah, you man. got if you got free time, check out the work that him and Michael Ruhlman have done on charcuterie. You can charcuterie do your charcuterie and Salumi, his two books. Yep. Salumi is the advanced book, I would say. Yeah, I would charcuterie say charcuterie starting there. Because Salumi's a lot of air cured stuff, so you got to have some time, some space, and a way to control your humidity. True. Well, man, I don't want to take up any more of your time. This is your day off, and you have got to enjoy it. Um, if people want to find you online and find the restaurant, where can they do that? So you can find me on Instagram at Frank underscore Deloach underscore Cooks because I'm lazy and I couldn't think of a cool name. Um, and then you can find us at uh, on Instagram, fellow by Sandro or Sandro Nardone. And you can find us at fellow by Nardone.com. Facebook, fellow. You can also Facebook me if you have any direct questions about charcuterie, recipe questions, anything. I love sharing information. Crawford knows this. Everyone knows this. If you want to know how I make something, I'll tell you. I don't care. I have nothing to hide. I think uh, if you're hiding information from people, you're an asshole. So, uh, everyone should know how to do everything so everyone can grow and become better than they were yesterday. That's a big proponent of my life. And then if people want to figure out information on the Bello pizza program, just on the website, uh, mostly on Instagram, you see my fat face on there probably two or three times a week talking about, I just posted a video today of recording from Monday, the 18th, uh, of me actually making pizzas in my mom's home oven because we got some questions about that it's bullshit that you can make a pizza in five minutes. <laughs> and I said, okay, sure. And so I made them. Challenge accepted. And challenge accepted. And you don't need to have a fancy oven to make fancy pizza. That's awesome, man. Well, I appreciate the honesty. I appreciate the time. And God knows I appreciate all the hard work and the pizzas. Hey, bro. What else are we going to do? Roll over and die? <laughs> Not much. Nah, fuck that no. shit. No, thank you. I got too much good food to eat. I don't want to do that. Yeah, there's too much to do also. True. All Even right, man. if you're just doing it at home. Yeah. Just do also something. True. Make a puzzle. Who gives a shit? Stay busy. Stay busy. Go on a walk. Thank you for the time, my friend. I hope you enjoy the rest of the day and uh I hope that this thing lifts so I can come in and uh and see you guys soon. I mean, that would be nice. I would like to see your your face. It would be nice. Yeah. It's nice to be seen. <laughs> yeah. Great. All right, my dude, I'll talk to you later. All right, Frank. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Thank you to Chef Frank Deloach for the interview. I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that you've enjoyed all the episodes thus far, all 14 of them. We got another bunch of them in the mix and a lot of great upcoming guests from all over the hospitality industry. Also, now that some restaurants have opened, I should note that thanks to your patience um, and especially those people that have been supporting on Patreon through all of this as I kind of navigate that, again, thank you as always to those folks. These podcasts are going to start to be done in person. 
Yes, I'm very happy to announce that the phone calls are going to start to go the way of the dodo and hopefully the way of this virus. Um, we are going to start to move on. These podcasts are going to keep going. We'll have other topics to talk about other than COVID-19 and coronavirus and everything else that's going along with it. But yeah, for the time being, um, a couple of the episodes in the future are still going to be phone calls, kind of interviews of that style, respecting people's social distance. Um, the way that I record them, a lot of them are done kind of beforehand when they release. So, you know, it may be a week or so delay depending on the Patreon delay also and things like that. So take them with a grain of salt for the time, but continue to listen. I really appreciate all the support. Uh, the feedback has been amazing. There's so many chefs and restaurateurs and distillers and winemakers that want to be on the show. I have a whole back catalog of great guests coming up. If you want to ask them questions, be sure to go to patreon.com slash the best seats and submit them. Uh, I'm trying to get the guest interview previews up as quick as I can with everything going on in restaurants, kind of reopening. People are really scrambling. So some people can do it. Some people, they basically just kind of call me the morning of and say, hey, today is free. Let's record. So if that's inconvenient, I apologize. But rest assured that it's only going to get better from here. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you on the next episode. The Best Seats Podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Rafa McCarthy, founder and owner of The Best Seats. It is recorded in Eliseo Viejo, California. It is subsidized through generous donations through patreon.com slash the best seats. The following are names that have subscribed at the highest tier, aka norm status, and thus allow me to produce the show each and every episode. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Here are the supporters. Katie Cassie, Eric Lutz, Serena Warino, Talia Samuels, Cheryl McCarthy. Thank you for your support.